Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I'm at the uh, Zero Week conference in Houston, Texas. It's the annual kind of, I think it's like one of the most important, if not the actually the largest, uh, energy conference in the world. I'm Annie Reese. Right now, let me just. This is Politico Dispatch. One second. Turn the volume up so I can hear you. I wanted to talk to Ben Lefebvre, energy reporter at Politico, about oil and gas. We've got, I think, 4,400 people here is what I heard. Probably 90% of those from the uh, oil, natural gas, and tech companies that kind of service those industries. So it's a, it's, it's a big to-do. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we have seen massive sanctions from the United States and its allies designed to isolate Russia. But as crippling as those sanctions are, we know that blocking oil and gas would hurt Russia the most. Except it could also trigger a worldwide energy crisis and has so far been a non-starter. Nothing is off the table. Today, the political pressure that Biden is under and what options are and aren't on the table for blocking Russian oil and gas. They don't want to do a sanctions against Russian exports, just kind of like, you know, you know, financially blocking up the Russian ports and allowing no oil and gas out of the uh, out mm-hmm. of that country. What they were considering and it still seems to be kind of up in the air is whether some countries will say they will no longer import Russian oil and gas. Mm-hmm. This would still allow Russian energy to kind of get to Europe where it's most needed, um, but then allow the United States to say, well, you know what, you know, we don't, you know, we don't actually take that much Russian oil or, you know, products, but, you know, we'll, I guess, symbolically, if anything, just stop our purchases. That's still being talked, but there is a big disagreement on whether that would actually be effective, uh, whether, you know, mm-hmm. we don't actually bring that much like you know, into this country. So would it actually, uh, you know, damage Russia's bottom line to do so? There's also the, the worry that even doing that little bit when markets are so tight right now could send prices higher, which is, you know, the inflation issue has been like the biggest political hit that the Biden administration has been taking yeah. from Republicans. So there's a desire to kind of a, to d- avoid anything that might add to the price spike. And it seems like there's been a growing consensus of American politicians that are putting some pressure on the Biden administration because previously they were sort of very anti doing anything, even like banning Russian imports, which, as you said, is kind of largely symbolic and much smaller. But there has been some political pressure on them, right? Yeah, we've seen, you know, both from the left and the right, um, you know, it's, it's almost like an energy patriotism where yeah. we're seeing senators like Joe Manchin, you know, Ed Markey, who's a fairly left wing, you know, senator joining with those, uh, you know, like Dan Sullivan out of Alaska who are saying, well, look, why don't we just ban those ex- or ban the import of Russian energy into the U.S.? Our companies can, you know, make up the difference. So there, there's a little bit of a political consensus actually growing on this. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that's something that, you know, she'd like to see. So the Biden administration may think, well, we don't want to just get steamrolled and be being seen as, you know, stopping this, you know, the, 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 like any sort of ban. But at the same time, they don't think it's the best use of time or efforts. One thing that I'm kind of interested in seeing is that some, you know, we saw Senator Lisa Murkowski, Rep- Republican of Alaska, mm-hmm. say, you know, well, look, if we, you know, we, we, we need to have this ban on imports and prices may go up, but, you know, we're trying to fight a war or we're trying to help Ukraine fight its war. There's going to be some pain, but it's just something, you know, that we have to do, it, which I, I think is almost kind of giving the Biden administration a little bit of political cover to do something if prices do go up. 
There's also uh, some thought out there, I've talked to some analysts here, who think that it's almost considered a given that some sort of ban will go up, that lawmakers will somehow agree to prevent Russian imports from coming into the U.S. But they think that it's considered such a given that this is going to happen, that the price is already kind of baked in to to oil prices. Mm. So, you know, we wouldn't necessarily see much of a pop in prices if a ban does go in place. There's also thoughts that, well, we can try to increase our own production and kind of jawbone some allies, or not even allies, try to try to loosen oil supply elsewhere by, you know, for one example, maybe allowing Venezuela to start exporting some crude again. We've had sanctions on Venezuelan oil yeah. or, you know, hoping to get a, an agreement with uh, Iran on its nuclear program that would allow the U.S. to then lift sanctions on Iran and then have Iran start exporting more oil. So almost a way to kind of like fill the cup up again if Russian oil and gas is taken out of the system in the U.S. Yeah, I saw a great tweet from our colleague Nahal Tusi that was like foreign policy as an Escher painting, you know, just kind of surreal to think of like (laughs) these dictators in other countries that we put sanctions on that potentially might be back on the table. Yeah, you know, it's almost like, you know, if if, if you're, you know, familiar with the agricultural world, it's almost like gasoline that gets into Americans pump is almost like the banana of of uh, of energy commodities like everyone kind of expects it but they don't realize how convoluted it is to get that gasoline or that banana to your to your you know retail outlet so it's kind of wheels within wheels to a certain extent you know so much of foreign policy touches on energy policy uh, in, in the best of times when you're seeing a crunch like this it just kind of really highlights the matter So just to go back to a possible U.S. ban on Russian imported oil being largely symbolic, like you said. Yeah. So why do it and and why not consider a much bigger ban? I mean, can can you just outline the stakes here? Well, it'd be largely symbolic in that, uh, like, we don't import that much of it anyway. But, you know, during wartime, sometimes symbolism matters, and it would just be another way of painting Russia as kind of like a geopolitical pariah out there because of what it's done with its invasion of Ukraine. Um, the other options that we mentioned were like stopping Russia from exporting any oil or gas. Again, that would be kind of like the nuclear bomb situation. That would be the most of Russia's exports go to Europe, which is already seeing heightened energy prices. So a total ban would just send things that much higher. You know, it was interesting um, today at this conference, uh, the, the CEO of Total Energy, a French company that does a lot of work in Russia, they they went out of their way to say, look, you know, last week we saw, you know, companies like BP and Shell and some other European companies and Exxon, an American company, say they would no longer um, operate or, you know, they, they would no longer produce oil and gas in Russia. These companies all had assets in Russia they were using. Total was the one who said, actually, we're not going to go that far, uh, which some saw was kind of like a little bit, you know, a week on their part. Total's CEO came out today in Houston and they said, well, we're doing this because Europe still needs natural gas. And that's what we're producing in Russia. So, you know, we haven't had any push from our home country government in France to, to leave the country. And given that Europe needs gas, you know, we will produce gas out of Russia and send it to Europe or to Western Europe. Um, but they said they still said they would stop trading in Russian oil. So you kind of see how, you know, where where the, the need for Russian energy is still so great in Europe that a European energy company is like saying we're still going to produce there, even though Russia has become kind of the outsider of, of European politics. Yeah. These discussions about 
you know, natural gas and especially oil production um, and like where, you know, we would get it from if certain supplies are cut off seems to sort of fly in the face of some of this administration's climate goals. Like, is there tension there? Yeah. And, and you know, White House climate advisor John Kerry was here today addressing the audience. And, and he noted that this is kind of a new wild card. He said, you know, we we could still meet the climate goals that were agreed to at the Glasgow climate, uh, UN climate conference last year. But we're not sure what this Russian uh, matter is going to do, you know, how, how it's going to kind of kink up the system. So he said, you know, we, we could still meet our goals. You know, the technology is there. It just needs to be made cheaper and more readily available. But if we're starting to see these cries that we need to, you know, all these different countries need to increase their own domestic, you know, oil and gas production to kind of offset Russia, what does that mean? So they're still kind of working through it. You know, it's, it's, it's a fairly unprecedented situation. You know, Russia not only is one of the largest oil and gas, you know, producers, it's also a nuclear power. So there's a desire to kind of tiptoe around certain, you know, uh, reactions uh, that the U.S. might have in its arsenal. Mm -hmm. Um, So it still remains to be seen of how this will affect, you know, uh, the global climate commitments. What do you, you know, you're an energy beat reporter. I mean, this is what you study. But for like a more general audience, like what do you think people don't understand about this? Oil and natural gas, you know, they truly come out of an international global market. So you'll hear this talk of like, oh, we should just be energy independent. You know, the the U.S. produces like, you know, a lot more oil than it did, you know, even, you know, a year ago or two years ago. Um, But we're still seeing, you know, crude prices here go up to like, you know, $120 a barrel. That's because it's such a global market that, you know, you can't damage one part of the system without it being felt everywhere. So even though, you know, tanks are rolling into Eastern Europe, that's affecting oil prices like in California. So, you know, or, you know, the entire United States. So there's no real way to kind of disconnect from the global energy markets. And any talk of like, we'll just, you know, produce our way out of this. You know, we'll just produce more oil and gas and, you know, that'll set things right. That's not really how it works. So I think, you know, you know, some people, you know, you've heard mention, I don't think it's going to get mentioned at this conference, but some people have mentioned, why don't, why didn't everyone just turn their thermostats down? You know, that would do more to, you know, reduce dependence on, uh, you know, global oil supplies than like, you know, let's throw, you know, 50 more, you know, drilling rigs into Texas. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the only way to really disconnect from the market is to stop using the product. We're not going to do that anytime soon, but we're also not going to be disconnecting from the market just by, you know, producing more, you know, of our own oil anytime soon. I, I, I've got to go now. They're, the guys went on the stage, so I got to cut it off. Okay. Thanks so much, Ben. Hey, Good bye. to talk to you. Bye. Also in the news, the EU said that it would formally assess applications from Ukraine, Georgia, and Moldova to join the bloc. Each country has said that the rapidly changing security landscape must force the EU to swiftly consider their membership bids. Although the move is just a technical step, it still carries significant symbolic value. And New York City was once the epicenter of the coronavirus. And as of this Monday, its COVID-19 restrictions and indoor vaccine mandate have been lifted. Restaurants, bars, entertainment venues, and gyms will no longer be required to check for proof of COVID-19 vaccination. And children are no longer required to wear masks to school. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.